Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I often say to people in the beginning, don't make everything from scratch. Don't spend four or five hours in the kitchen. If you're used to picking up takeaway, you're going to give up in two weeks because it's going to be too hard for you. Grab some frozen vegetables, a can of no-salt added legumes. Grab some minute brown rice. And when you get home from work, you've got a meal in 10 minutes. And the transition is going to be so much easier if they tweak it to their personal needs. That's a meal I have easily two or three times a week for either lunch or dinner and just whack it together and boom, everything's great. And that's it. And I think there's this tendency for people to overcomplicate things because there is so much nutritional information out there and misinformation that people feel like they have to do and spend more than they do in reality. And so sometimes you really do have to tell people that's okay. That's a meal. That's totally fine. It's got nutrients. It's got vitamins. It's got minerals. It's got protein. And the fact that it took you 10 minutes to make doesn't mean that it's not healthy. That's author and plant-based eating advocate Emma Roach. And this is episode 256 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is the 256th time we've done this show and I'm so happy you're here. Today's episode is with Emma Roche. Find out more about what she's up to at plantplate.com. If you're new to this show, if you're one of the new people that's just found us on Spotify, we're on Spotify. We've hit the big leagues, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this podcast, what is it? It's a conversation that you get to be a part of, a conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's all we're trying to do. Sometimes this conversation will it'll be with a name that you know. Uh, you'll see a name, you'll recognize it, you'll go, oh yeah, I'll download that, I'll listen to that. I do the same thing. Sometimes it'll be with someone that you don't know. That's fine. But I guarantee no matter who my show is with, 
you are going to hear something that you need to hear. That's a guarantee. In the next hour and a, and a bit today, uh, you're going to hear something that will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that will just go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Oh, I might try a bit of that. That might make today a bit better than yesterday. Yeah, that's what I'm here to do. So, who am I? Well, I'm Osher Ginsberg. Lovely to have you here. Thank you for being here. I'm a TV and radio guy from Australia and a podcaster, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I currently host a show called The Bachelorette. Yep, that the one. That's the one with the roses and the whispering and the helicopters and the jet skis and the drama and the romance. I'm also an author. Uh, I've just released a book. It's called Back After the Break. Uh, you can get it at uh, osherginsberg.com, which is also where you can get tickets to the latest live shows that we've managed to put on sale. We are doing an encore show in Sydney on October the 28th, and we're doing a first show in Melbourne on the 14th of December. I am so, so excited about that. Brisbane, we are not far from locking it down. February 8th is the day that I'd like you to keep free. The venue is close to the river. I'll give you that much of a clue. It's close to the river, though, the brown snake. It goes a long way through that city. Uh, it is the full show. All shows are the full show with the singing and the storytelling and the big screen and the toe hider. Yeah, the guy that does the music for my show, he joins me on stage and it's brilliant. I'd love you to come. I'd love you to be a part of it. The first show in Sydney back in August sold out very quickly. Uh, so we're very happy to put it on again, again again in Sydney, part of the Yak Festival. And we're even more stoked to put on the show in Melbourne and Brisbane, everywhere else. Everybody else. Now, and I've got to tell you this. I, I know you're smart people, but I have to tell you this. I'd love to put on a show in your city. I really, really would. Uh, but I'm not Kendrick Lamar, even though I wish I was. So if you can figure out how to get to either Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane, that's probably the best way to do it. The economics of touring three people, a PA, a lighting rig, a big screen, all that stuff, it means that if one person says, oh, why don't you do a show in Ballarat or oh, come and do a show in, in, in Wagga, I could do that. You would be the only person there, and your ticket would cost between five and seven thousand um, dollars. So, <laughs> if you can write to me and go, here are the names and emails of the three hundred people <laughs> that are going to come and see the show. I've got them locked in. Um, then I could, I might be able to do it. If if not, I- I'm sorry, I can't get to where you are, but I will make it worth the journey. All the shows are meet and greet. Uh, there's book signings after each gig. It's a it's a it's a great night. It's a, a, very, a night where we connect uh, in many ways, and um, and I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for it. Uh, it's it's a good night. It's basically the book. If you've got the book, it's the basically the book, but with with added power ballads and 100 percent more toe hider. Uh, the tickets are selling fast for both gigs. I wouldn't want you to miss out. We mightn't be able to get another show up for a while because after February we turn around into gratefully the next shooting, the next season of Bachelor, and it's I'll be pretty flat out. So. Now's the time. If you reckon you can get to the show, try your best. The, like I said, the first show was an absolute cracker. Um, I'd love to have you there, osherginsberg.com. While you're online, a big hello to everyone on the Facebook group, osher.is slash FB group, if you want to get on board with that. Um, it's such a beautiful community that's building there. Just people who listen to the podcast, people connecting with other people that listen to the podcast, and it's really, really wonderful. There's so much support happening there. Uh people posting when they're having not a bad day and a lot of other people jumping on board and helping them out. Um, I mean, not a good day is what I meant to say. A lot of people jumping on board and helping out and uh, offering support and, and connection there and also sharing the interesting places that they listen to the show. If you'd like to share an interesting place that you listen to the show, it's called a Podsy. It's uh, like a selfie, but of the podcast Vista, whatever you're looking at right now, P-O-D-S-I-E. I do love it when I get a podcast of chickens. 
I don't know. I'm, yeah, sure, I only eat plants. But when people have chickens in their backyard, eh, it's kind of aspirational. I wouldn't mind to have chickens in my backyard one day. That'll be fun. I will call them names. It'll be good. Uh, not rude names. You know what I mean. Um, hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. It's best if you get it. Just send it to me on Instagram. Just tag me in Instagram or um, like put it in your Instagram story or uh, email me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's the email you can always get me on. If you need anything, if you want to reach out, if you want to talk about anything. Um, I know I always said uh, big thanks to everyone uh, that came to the gig in Rockhampton the other week. But uh, look, thank you. It was a really great time up in Rocky. And uh, on Saturday night, everyone who came along to the Beat the Breakdown Ball. That was really, really, really cool. Uh, it was it was a really fun night. I was really honoured to be a part of that. Um, an incredible community building around Beat the Breakdown. They sold around 650 tickets in around five minutes. There's a pretty special room of people. So, uh, to check in with you, I'll, I'll check in. I checked, I spoke, I did a keynote, um, which is nice to do more keynotes these days. It's nice to do that. I did a keynote there and um, I checked in with all those people like I check in with you, you know. Um, this is just me sitting in my track pants in front of a microphone in my house. But, you know, you got to be brave and um, let other people know that it's okay to share. And so, I got up on stage and I checked in the same way I check in with you every week in front of a room full of 650 people the other day. Um, and like I told them, I'll tell you, I've been struggling this week. If you've read the book, you'll know that... Um, not only did I experience psychosis in episodes of Paranoid Delusion, but my big trigger was um, was climate change, that the full and cataclysmic predicted consequences of climate change were happening and they were happening today and I was the only person that knew or cared. I wanted to run up and down the street and warn people. It was very, very frightening. Now, unfortunately for me, climate change is a thing that it's okay to be worried about, all right? Alas, my response to that worry was irrational. I really wish with all my heart that I had paranoid delusions and psychosis episodes about geese or scaffolding or something benign. But no, I have to have a trigger that is in every news feed that I follow and is eventually showing up anywhere, even though I've unfollowed most of the really hardcore super advocate people I followed because it was just a bit too much. Which I guess is a good thing because it means that more people are concerned about it and ultimately it flies in the face of the delusions I was experiencing, which told me that the world was ending and I was the only person that knew. Turns out I'm not. We had some lovely ladies you know, knock on our door yesterday and let us know how we can stop a Dani. And, you know, we got our Move Australia off coal sign and we're going to put it in the front yard. And that was nice. It was good. It's like, oh, good. I'm not alone. You're here too. That's nice. However... Look, honestly, I don't know I'm not alone with this. The news the other day about the report from the Coalition of Climate Scientists saying, yeah, we've got about, we've got till 2030 to make some major significant reductions in greenhouse gas emissions or we are all completely toast. I think that was the scientific words they used for it. No, that's right. They used catastrophe. That's the word they used for it. That was a hard thing for me to bear. All right. And it really you know, fucked me up for a couple of days. It was... Hard. And so a few mornings in a row this week, I woke up with the doom again. It wasn't as bad as when I was experiencing the paranoid delusions, but it was definitely, it was uncomfortable. Yet, even though it was uncomfortable, I know what I need to do when I get those thoughts and feelings in my body. They usually come right after I wake up, before I open my eyes. This is a tricky time because my prefrontal cortex isn't quite active yet. That's the front part of our brains that 
made us the dominant species on the planet, but it wakes up after we do. Uh, that's the rational part of the brain. So my prefrontal cortex isn't quite active yet. So the rationalizing part of my brain isn't, isn't, hasn't really kicked in yet. So I lie there feeling this feeling in my body and so what I, I remember I know what I've got to do it's almost habitual now but I get about my breathing I get about feeling where in my body that uncomfortable feeling is I identify it where is it it's in the bottom of my left lung what does it feel like oh it feels like it's being squeezed okay you know I describe it in my head I be with it and then I the best way I could describe it is I breathe around it all right so Picture stuffing a Lego man inside a deflated balloon, all right? What's life like for that Lego man? He's like walls all around him. So slowly, I inflate the space. I just breathe around it in my mind. I breathe around that feeling, around that pain in my body, that physical pain, because if you've ever had anxiety or, you know, you'll know it's a physical pain. I breathe around that feeling and soon enough, the Lego man has got room to move. In this analogy, the Lego man is me. The next thing I do is I reach out and I touch my wife. Uh, I concentrate on the exact feeling of where our skin touches. I feel the breath in my nostrils. Sometimes I count her breaths if she's still asleep. And I do this for a while, just being present to those things there in the room until the painful feeling in my body dissipates. Now, these days... I don't try and rationalize away the pain or discomfort. I used to, you know, I fought very hard against it. And I've learned most recently from the conversation I had with Susan David two episodes ago, that facing the fear and being with the fear is the surefire way to diminish it. No matter how counterintuitive it seems to do that, it's hard, but it works. So what do you know? After a few minutes of doing the things I've just described to you, it, it starts to feel better. And then I, rhyme, I remind myself of two things. One, that while this may be uncomfortable, I can handle it. I have room for it. I don't have to like it, but I can be with it and I can operate with this thing going on. And number two that I try to remember is one word, maybe. It's a great word. I learned it this week. I learned to use it this week from a young guy called uh, Mitch Wallace. I did his podcast the other day. And um, it's an interesting technique that he speaks of. The thoughts hit me and I can respond with, yeah, maybe. I don't know. They feel true. I know that. But are they true? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't know what will or won't happen. Then I get out of bed, pour myself a stout double espresso to get that prefrontal cortex fired up, help the rational part of my brain to activate. I sit down to write. I do the, I write down every day. I write down the 20 things I'm grateful for. I write out the fears. I write out my values and my purpose for that day. Then I go downstairs, swing some kettlebells around until my heart rate's up into the red zone. And once I've done all those things, what do you know? I feel better. The other day, I only had 10 minutes. Uh, A meeting got pulled forward. Hey, can you get here at 9.15 rather than 9.30? So what was going to be like a 30-minute workout turned into a 10-minute workout because of traffic. So I just smashed myself on the kettlebells. I got my heart rate up into zone four, zone five for a couple of intervals for about 10 minutes. And it was enough to get those hormones squirting out into my brain, help me feel better, 
help me feel more in control, more on top of things. And then I get about my day, trying to be aligned with the purpose and values that I hold dear to my heart, to be a great father and husband, to carry a positive message of managing mental health, to do meaning professional work, and to do my part when it comes to the world we share. And that, my friends, is where eating plants comes in. Um, Because for my money, if you really want to care about the environment that we live in, we're a modern westernized country, we use a lot of resources compared to other people. And the number one thing you can do is stop eating meat. All right. If you're new to the show, I've been plant-based since 2002, a vegetarian since about uh, 98, 99. Now, while I'm I'm now grateful that I live a life where I cause as little suffering to sentient beings that I can possibly as, as little suffering as I possibly can within my control. It's not how I got into it. I'm grateful that I don't kill anything to live and I'm grateful that I I can try as hard as I can to prevent suffering as much as I can, but that's not how I got into it. I got into it for environmental reasons. Back in 98, I think, 97, 98, when I found out the amount of land, water, and feed that it takes to make just one kilo of animal protein versus one kilo of equivalent plant protein, I pretty much stopped overnight, all right? This is before I found out about the methane produced by the animal farming industry or indeed the water and soil pollution, not to mention the the trucking and refrigeration of the meat industry. Just the idea that all the land and water and food, which could either be feeding people or people could be drinking or not be used at all, so the land and the water has a chance to suck carbon back out of the air, well, that stuck with me. And I've been eating this way ever since. Even if you don't want to go fully plant-based, just know, just know that beef uses 10 times more resources than poultry, dairy, eggs, or pork combined. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. Now, when you factor the long-term health outcomes, this is like if you want to get selfish about it, when you factor the long-term health outcomes into it, for me, it was a no-brainer, and I've lived this way for nearly 20 years. So, if you're searching for a way that you can change not only your individual health outcomes, but also be a part of the change in the way our finite space and resources on this ball of water and dirt hurtling through space that we all share are used, it's something to consider. And that is where my guest comes in today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Emma Roche is an Australian author and whole food plant-based food advocate who lives year-round in Belgium. 
Now, I'm very aware of the privilege that I have as a white, male, straight, middle-class guy that I can afford to live a plant-based life. Indeed, at times in my life, I've definitely gone overboard and bought the $20 jar of organic virgin dirt, single-origin, solar-powered peanut butter. I've done that. But it doesn't have to be like that. And lately, I've been getting, to be honest, more and more frugal about how I feed myself to live this way, Um, especially around the deliberate eating I did around the men's health cover. And you know what, my friends? Chickpeas are cheap. Rice is cheap. Veggies are cheap. Doesn't have to be Gwyneth Paltrow's $470 a week for one person grocery bill. It can be. Doesn't have to be. And this is where Emma comes in. She's written a couple of brilliant books about living a whole food plant-based life on a budget. In fact, they do what they say on the box. The books are, books are called Whole Food Plant-Based on $5 a day. And that's the book I first found, and it spread the message that you can feed yourself and your family very well and cheaply on less than 50 bucks a week a person which is pretty excellent. That's a pretty good price point, no matter what. Her books are available on her website, plantplate.com. If you're new to the idea of eating this way, or you've been curious about it, but you don't know how to make the first steps away from the food you grew up knowing, which is fine, because like food is the stuff that you grew up knowing. It's the stuff that your mother or father made that you associate with comfort. And when you eat it, you get that connection back. And so if you transition away from that, it can be very frightening, very confronting, because you don't know what to eat. All right. And you might be befuddled that, you know, the $10 macrobiotic sprouted tofu that you think you need to put in each meal is, you know, you don't. And if you're kind of confused by that kind of thing or using fake meats or, you know, fake sausages or whatever, then this episode's for you. But a warning, if you haven't eaten yet and you're listening to this on an empty stomach, you're going to cook something delicious today. I guarantee it. (laughs) Emma's a great chat. Uh, We got to catch up over Skype from her home in Europe. Enjoy this conversation with Emma Roche. So good to speak to you. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me. Emma, how are you going oh, thanks. today? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. It's early here. Yeah. But I am all, I'm always up early. So oh, yeah? That's the well, uh, best time of the day, I think. <laughs> well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we can speak today. What part of the world uh, are we calling you from? I'm in Belgium. Wow. Yes. And and what happens in Belgium that you're like, this is awesome. I'm going to stay here. Love. Oh, yeah. That's always the way. <laughs> if you've got an Australian in Belgium, you can guarantee that unless it's work, that that's what it is. That's excellent. It's not, not the weather that. Uh... <laughs> well, look, I always say life is too short to not get on a plane and go and see. Absolutely. You know, you really got to Absolutely. do it. How long have you been over, though? I've been living overseas for almost 10 years, but I was also living in the UK. So I was in England for a while and I was in Scotland. And then I was back in Australia for a little bit before I came to Belgium. Yeah, right. And you are on this show today because I was, you know, I found you because I was, you know, looking for, uh, as, as I, I've recently been, as you know, obviously I'll talk about this in the intro, but I've recently been on the last six months quite a, quite a transformative uh, way of, I've been vegan for, well, plant-based for a long time, since 2002, and I've in the last six months, I've just been super exploring, feeding myself in the best possible way I can to bring about the most extraordinary physical and mental transformation I can, which has been significant. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. And so, as I dig deeper into resources of, you know, ways to cook and ways to feed myself and reasons to put water on my plate, I came across you. Oh, awesome. 
Uh, yeah, I found some fantastic uh, wealth of knowledge within your work and I, I thought it would be great to share because a lot of people ask me, um, you know, they, they have seen that I've been eating this way for a long time and they see the men's health thing and they go, oh, I think I've been thinking about that, but I'm like, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian, I know nothing. Let's ask someone who is a nutritionist to know something. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. That's Yeah, that's really nice of you to say. Um, no, I was quite a surprise to get your email as well because um, don't take this the wrong way, but I when I saw your name, I thought, oh, who, who's that? And then, <laughs> of course, I did my Google search and I went, oh, oh wow, okay, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> it's that guy. I yeah, that well, guy. because I, I mean, I grew up in Australia in the 90s, so, you know, I watched music television yeah. almost religiously. So, of course, yeah, then I recognized you and followed a little bit of your story. And, um, yeah, so it's it's really – yeah, it's fantastic that that you stumbled upon my work. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, was, and, I was vegetarian and, that whole time on TV. I've been vego since ninety ninety eight, ninety eight. Yeah, okay, so that, about yeah. or so. Um, so I was on TV as that, and then um, when I started, and then I went um, full plant based in two thousand two. So yeah, every Sunday night on Idol, that's what people would see. They didn't realize yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a, yeah, it's quite a significant period of time as yeah. well, definitely. How is, how would, you know, what part of Australia did you grow up in? Like, was your background, like, were you, are you like Nima Delgado? Were you raised by Hare Krishnas or were you, did you have a different <laughs> pathway to, uh, no. to eating plants? My upbringing was pretty standard. I grew up in Canberra. So I grew up in a household where there was definitely, some focus on eating healthily. There wasn't a lot of junk food in my house, but there was nothing particularly strict about it. My parents weren't vegetarian, but, you know, we did cook meals at home and it, and it was, you know, a lot of vegetables and a lot of legumes. And then around the age of 13, which I think is a pretty common age for people to start thinking about animals and, and you know, why people eat meat and questioning things and, challenging things and I had a couple of older friends who were vegetarian and it kind of appealed to me so I thought I'd give that a go and it stuck and then a few years I think that was around 2001 and then a few years after that again um, just happened to make a friend who was vegan and I didn't really understand it I didn't I didn't understand why someone <laughs> would would you know choose to eat that way so I did a little bit of research and realized that it actually aligned more with what I was trying to do. And so I thought, oh, I'll give this a go. And it also stuck. And so that was about 14 or 15 years ago now mm. and probably one of the best decisions that I've made to date. Uh, Emma, can you take me through the initial appeal? Like you're, you're a teenager and you know, obviously when there's kind of older older people around as a kid, you, you know, we all want to do the things that the older kids are into. But what was it at the time that struck a chord with you? I at the time it was it was mostly uh, an ethical decision. I didn't I didn't want to contribute to the suffering of animals, and I didn't I didn't up until that point really realize what went on in the majority of factory farms or you know whatever you want to call them. I didn't realize you know the the treatment of animals extended beyond uh, meat into other industries, and so on a personal level. I just wanted to try to avoid contributing 
to that as much as possible. Of course, nobody can be perfect, but I thought that was a good place to start. And um, as you know, as I continued on with that, I became more and more interested in the health aspect of eating a plant-based diet uh, and sort of tried to do more research on that area because I was falling into the trap in the beginning of eating less than well as a vegan. You know, there's a lot of, you know, getting into eating vegan junk food, eating out too often, not really feeling my best, not really feeling as good as I did when I first switched over to eating plant-based and was eating legumes and fruits and vegetables and grains. And so, yeah, it started out as an ethical decision. And as time progressed, I became more interested in in health and well-being. And so now the two sort of go quite nicely together. Yeah, when I'm when I when I was working on on Idol, I would often meet people who, you know, we'd do this big uh, audition shows and or you know, we'd be doing a live show and there'd be hundreds of people in the room and someone would come out and go I'm vegan too. Well, I used to be. <laughs> I was vegan, but then I had to stop because my hair started falling out. Or, yeah. Yeah, I was vegan, but then my kidneys stopped working and my parents had to take me to the doctor. Uh, so yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. That can happen. People, they, they become very morally driven and ethically driven by this choice, but might not do as much homework as they need to do and end up in a spot That's- of trouble. Absolutely. And I think I think these days, unfortunately, people actually have a tendency to worry unnecessarily about the nutritional adequacy of a plant-based diet. Mm. But as you say, at the same time, I meet vegans who live on Coca-Cola and potato chips. And I sort of have to say, you can't maintain or sustain that long term. You're, you're going to unfortunately fall into the same traps that you know, everybody else does, you're not, you're not going to feel well and you're not going to do yeah. well and you're not going to thrive. So it's, it's, it's good to think about yourself, I think, as much as you, as you think about animals when mm. it comes to, to eating that way. Can you describe, talk, talk to me about that? Well, I mean, if you have, uh, I meet people who are very focused on the ethical aspects of eating plant-based, which is completely admirable, you know, especially for somebody who, chose to eat that way for those reasons. But there's a, a shift or, or an undercurrent where people are, I don't want to say anti-health, but really, really so focused on eating vegan for animals that they don't think about their own health and the fact that, you know, they should take care of themselves as well. So, you know, because there's there's so much processed food coming out now, you know, there's so many vegan versions of everything. You've got your mock meats and your ice creams and your cookies and your chocolates. And it's nice. It's nice that people are able to treat themselves when they want to. But I see people building their entire diets around these foods now. And um, what you're seeing now is sort of an anti-health movement within veganism that I think is going to disadvantage the movement as a whole and going to lead people down a path where they become as unhealthy as they were prior to switching over to that way of eating. Yeah, I certainly I certainly fell into that trap when I landed in Los Angeles in in two thousand five and suddenly yeah, I'm only like two years in or so I was three years in by that point. And um yeah, I'd just be eating vegan cheesecake every day. Which yep, is very you know, easy to do because two it's and a half thousand calories of delicious <laughs> yeah saturated fat gloriness um 
And then kind of, what are my pants fit? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's vegan. I'm sure I'll be fine. You know, just eat this massive plate of potato chips when I go out because that's all that's there. You yep. know, uh, at that point, I hadn't really realized to, you know, what I've come to realize more recently is that it's okay to not eat a meal rather than eat something terrible, <laughs> which yeah. is so a choice that I've been making more and more in the last last year or so. Um, look, however, you know, people might come to it. We spoke of the, the ethical decision to come towards uh, eating a plant-based diet um, and that's, that's fairly well documented. But can you talk to me a little bit about maybe the health aspects of why someone might approach a plant-based diet? It seems that, well, at least in my experience, when I talk about why I eat the way I eat, I started, you know, on the, you know, obviously for me, it was the environmental factors that, that led me to it and the use of resources um, and the waste Absolutely. of resources, particularly around water uh, that I just can't, I just couldn't agree. Um, I couldn't agree with it. And that's, that's been my, my basis of it. But more recently, like yourself, it's been health and mental health in many ways. Um, so, so if someone's coming in from, from that angle, do you find that's happening a little bit more? People are approaching it from more of a, a health angle now? It's happening a whole lot more, uh, especially, I think, since 2011, um, I've noticed it happening more frequently. Um, and then particularly in the last couple of years, the, pe- yeah, the number of people adopting a plant-based diet purely, or at least initially purely for health reasons, has just, I mean, it's just massive. And I think a lot of it has to do with some of the documentaries that have come out that are available on Netflix. So originally you had Forks Over Knives, which came out in 2011. And I know that that started a lot of people on their journey to eating a plant-based diet for health. And then a couple of years ago, you had What the Health, which was another documentary that was incredibly popular and that sort of opened that door for a lot of people who had possibly not thought about it before. Mm. And both of the films touch on the fact that um, it's well-documented in scientific literature, that eating a whole food plant-based diet can actually help people to prevent and even reverse certain diseases, things like heart disease, things like type 2 diabetes, um, even beyond that, all sorts of other conditions that people have been able to successfully manage um, or even, like I said, reverse using a specific style of plant-based eating. It's really, it's really something, um, you know, I, w- I would see in the States and, you know, I knew, you know, I'm an old, older guy, I'm in my 40s and there'd be guys maybe 10 years older than me going in for their second, third stent and, yep. you know, in the States where they don't have public health, that's $125,000 a pop, all right? It is, so, it is absolutely crazy. So by the time they've got there, you know, they've essentially, essentially spent their entire money that they would have sent, spent sending their kids to college on something that, you know, it could have been prevented by just eating better. And, you know, when you put it, when you, I, I always try and put it, frame it in that way, you know, like what's, what are you saving, you know, my, and which gets us to your work with the eating whole food plant <laughs> based on $5 a day. What do you, yes, yes, it might, there might be a, an outlay, a cost outlay for eating differently, but what money are you saving in 20, 30 years? And, and certainly diet as an intervention to lifestyle related diseases. Uh, I think I, I'm definitely seeing it. You know, a lot of people have come to me um, asking for that. Let me let me ask you this: when you, in it, when someone does make the shift, you see it all the time. Like in the first two weeks of quitting smoking, you'll have this, 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 that, that. So, what about when in the first, you know, let's say first month of of transitioning into a plant based diet? What are some changes that people might expect? 
people in the first few weeks often report that they have improved sleep. They have improved energy, whether that is, you know, real or perceived, that's okay. As long as you feel like you have more energy, I think that's a good thing. Uh, People have improved mood. People can lose weight in the first month, depending on how they were eating. I've seen people lose, you know, two, three, four kilograms in the first few months um, simply by, you know, changing the composition of their plate. Um, You know, it does take some people a few weeks to feel good. Some people really have sort of a massive, it's a massive dietary overhaul and their body actually can react quite badly to it. Um, but usually in that first month, that's what you really hear about, you know, improved mood, improved energy, improved sleep. And, you know, sometimes even in that first month, you can have a massively, you know, a massive reduction in blood pressure. You can see cholesterol within 30 days for certain people drop, you know, anywhere between 20 and 50 points even depending on how major those dietary changes were for them. It's, it's extraordinary that just changing the way or which aisles you walk down at the grocery store can, can significantly impact your health to, to such a degree. Yet, the, you know, obviously, the big barrier to this is, is familiarity because it's so unfamiliar and, and habit uh, plays such a role in when we shop. And when we cook, habit plays such a role. Um, could I get you to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about familiarity and convenience when it comes to making a dietary shift? I think I think that's one of the major hurdles for a lot of people. If you are used to convenience when it comes to food, I think you have a bigger challenge than if you are a person who's used to shopping for and cooking all of your meals yourself. Um, and so that's kind of what I was trying to uh, address with my work and with with the whole food plant based on five dollars a day books was making the whole process easier for people because you do have to learn how to plan, you do have to learn how to shop, you do have to learn how to cook. It is a change, and it is something that can be more difficult for some people than others. Um, and you know, so so you do you do have to change your thinking around food. At the same time, you can, you know, make it easier on yourself by learning how to simplify it, by learning how to make healthy foods that are convenient and quick and easy for you to do. So, I often say to people in the beginning, don't, you know, don't make everything from scratch. Don't, you know, spend four or five hours in the kitchen. If you're used to picking up takeaway, you're going to give up in two weeks because it's going to be too hard for you. Grab some frozen vegetables, grab a can of no salt added legumes, grab some minute brown rice. And when you get home from work, you know, you've got a meal in 10 minutes and the transition is going to be so much easier, you know, for people if they, if they tweak it to their personal needs. You you just described a meal that I have maybe three times a week, not with a can. Yep. I make my I make my own beans, but yes. yeah, that's that's a meal I have easily two or three times a week uh, for either lunch yep. or dinner. I just whack it together and boom, everything's great. And that's it. And I think that there's this tendency um, for people to overcomplicate things um, because there is so much nutritional information out there and misinformation that people feel like they have to do. And spend more than they they do in reality. And so sometimes you really do have to tell people that's okay. That's a meal. That's 
that's totally fine. It's got nutrients. It's got, you know, it's got vitamins. It's got minerals. It's got protein. And the fact that it took you 10 minutes to make doesn't mean that it's not healthy. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned the P word. Let's talk a bit about that. Can because someone asked me this on telly the other day. Someone asked me where do you get your protein from, and I, like a smartass, I asked, well, well, what is protein? And she kind of went, um, it's uh. <laughs> so let's 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 talk a bit about that. No, she she knew the answer. She knew the answer. She was like, it's a bunch of amino acids. I said, yes, it is. But there's only so many of them that we can't make. But you can get them from anywhere. So when people are worried about protein. Can we just kind of define basically what we're talking about with protein, please, Emma? Well, protein is one of the three macronutrients that, you know, make up, you know, the composition of what we're eating. So you have fats, you have carbohydrates, and you have protein at a very simplified level. Um, There seems to be an unprecedented focus on protein uh, at the moment. People are so heavily focused on protein that I think what has happened is people think we need a whole lot more of it than we actually do. And a lot of people don't realize that it actually has uh, consequences. Eating too much protein actually isn't good for you, just like eating too much fat or too much of any one thing isn't good for you. So when it comes to a plant-based diet, um, there's protein in just about everything that we eat, but you know, particularly in things like um, legumes, in things like nuts and seeds, certain vegetables, certain whole grains, you have totally adequate levels of protein. I think you could eat a diet based on, you know, fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains and easily exceed, you know, your protein needs for the day, depending on how much you eat. Uh, And in terms of amino acid profiles, there was a, you know, a very longstanding mistruth that, you had to combine certain foods in a vegetarian or in a plant-based diet to get, you know, the right balance of amino acids. But if you if you do a breakdown of, of what – well, if I do a breakdown of what I eat in a standard day, it's very, very rare that I would not meet, you know, my needs for all of the essential amino acids that our bodies don't make. So, it's it's a whole lot easier than people think it is to, you know, to get – the amount of protein that you need on a plant-based diet. And it's I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that people are really overestimating the amount of protein that we need. And there's been a lot of, obviously, a lot of information. Somehow, I don't know, protein became the thing that sold products, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it becomes the in the ingredients list, it's bolded, and you can see the grams. And, you know, I do it myself. You pick things up and go, well, this has got more protein than that, so I'm going to get this one. So um, that must be better. It must be better. Clearly, it must be better. But what what you're saying is like too much protein. What are you What are you doing? You just you just buying expensive urine. Is that what you're doing? Essentially, that's what you're doing. You're making your kidneys work harder than they really need to work. And I mean, long term, that can actually contribute to the progression of kidney disease. I mean, if your body is constantly having to, you know, you only need so much protein, and whatever you don't need, you have to get rid of. And basically, in that process, you're making your kidneys work very, very hard. And I think we're going to see some real consequences as a result of this, you know, enormous focus on protein. And I mean, I, I, I've met people who who eat three, four, five times the amount of protein that they probably, probably need, especially women. 
especially especially women you know who who maybe aren't very heavy women who are you know a lighter build eating 100 150 200 grams of protein a day and uh yeah i do worry about about the long-term consequences of that are they bodybuilders are they trying to put on muscle i think a lot of people are are you know leaning towards that lifestyle even if they're not professional bodybuilders a lot of people trying to get muscular and trying to get fit which is good i think people focusing on exercise and their health from that perspective is a positive thing but i think that again there's an even heavier focus on protein within the bodybuilding community and of course if you're doing those kind of exercises it's possible that you need a little bit more but um, you can obtain the extra protein from the extra calories that you're eating to keep up that level of physical fitness. You don't need to be conscious of piling in, you know, hundreds of extra grams of protein on its own to, you know, reach those goals. So tell me about the, the other thing that um, has been, in my experience, a uh, something that people have balked at when I tell them about, you know, my my way of eating. And certainly with the men's health thing, people will concerned about how many carbs I was eating. When did we get so <laughs> when did we get so afraid of carbohydrates, Emma? When did we I don't know. Because I've I've never been afraid of carbohydrates. I think essentially I mean my diet's probably for the last fifteen years been mostly carbohydrate based, you know, I'd say seventy to eighty percent of my daily calories coming from carbohydrates. Of course, they're coming from predominantly whole food sources. They're coming from fruits and vegetables. They're coming from whole grains. They're coming from legumes. And those are very different carbohydrates, you know, in terms of the way our body uses and processes them compared to white table sugar and compared to, you know, a loaf of Wonder White. But somehow, somewhere along the line, all those got lumped in to the same category and they all became carbs and they all became evil. And again, I think it's one of those nutritional mistruths that is going to really disadvantage people in terms of their health long term. I mean, we go through phases, you know, we had the anti-fat phase in the 80s and the 90s. We've had, you know, the high protein phase. We've got the anti-carb phase. Um, you know, it's all different different reasons. It's different studies. It's popular books. It's nutritional misinformation on mainstream media, all these different contributing factors. And I hope for the sake of people's health that it will pass soon. <laughs> and um, I think that with the documentaries that are available, with you know things like, again, Forks Over Knives and What the Health and the studies that the doctors featured in these films have done that show that a, you know, a diet rich in complex carbohydrates can actually prevent and reverse disease, I hope more people will read the literature, not just the news articles, and and figure things out, start to figure things out for themselves and see that, you know, it doesn't all have to be feared and it's not all going to make you fat. What, while, while we're on myths, can we talk about fruit? Yes. <laughs> because another thing that I noticed, I certainly noticed, people balked how much fruit I was eating. Um and they're, you know, worried about the sugar that I'm eating. Um, yes. Uh, my, you sound like you want to clear that up. <laughs> I just, ah, it's, I mean, you, again, it's like the lumping everything into the same category with the carbohydrate. There's sugar and there's sugar. There's sugar that comes from nature that's packaged in a whole food with 
lots of fiber and lots of vitamins and lots of minerals. Essentially, you know, it's packaged that way. So you're getting the fiber and you're getting the water. So the rate at which the sugar is going to be absorbed is going to be different. The way that your body processes the food is going to be different. So a banana compared to a handful of gummy bears, again, it's not the same thing. This is a highly processed, highly refined food. It's going to be rapidly absorbed. There's no fiber there to help slow the rate of of absorption. And there's no vitamins and there's no minerals. So the foods aren't comparable. Sugar is not sugar if it's packaged completely differently and if it occurs in nature versus occurring in a factory. Why does the absorption rate play a factor, Emma? Well, essentially, if you're eating foods that are highly refined and highly processed and there's no fiber there, the sugar is being more rapidly absorbed into the bloodstream and that's going to cause uh, blood sugar spikes. It's going to cause insulin spikes. You're going to cause your pancreas to work harder and that's basically going to increase the risk that your blood sugars become unstable and that that can lead long-term to problems with your blood sugar and your body's ability to regulate insulin release from the pancreas. Right. And, of course, we all know what, what that can do in terms of contributing long-term to things like type 2 diabetes and Got things it. like weight gain. Things like weight even. gain because it, it is in those insulin spikes where those, those send the signals to oh, storage mode, right? That's exactly right. And resistance even when your body is, you know, constantly going, where, where is all this sudden energy coming from? Um, and even cravings, you know, even that, that incredibly large amount of sugar hitting your, your, your palate at one time, your body thinks going back thousands and thousands of years that that's a good thing. We wanted calories. We wanted energy. Food was scarce. You know, it was difficult to find. So if we could find something that was going to pack in a lot of calories, particularly things that are sweet, which our taste buds really are drawn to, our bodies were urging us to eat more of that because we needed it to survive. We needed to store that extra fat for the winter when food was going to be scarce. And so if you keep feeding yourself foods like that, you're going to keep craving them because, you know, somewhere along the line it was good for you. Not so much anymore when that food is not scarce and it's constantly and consistently available. Um, but you're going to keep craving it because your body likes – well, your, your taste buds like the flavor of it. And natural foods, whole foods, when you eat, you know, processed and refined foods, when you eat foods that are really calorie-dense, uh, whole foods are going to start to taste less interesting you know, your your taste buds are going to be drawn to foods that are salty, that are sweet, that are, you know, fatty. And you're going to dull your taste buds and you're going to be less interested in eating whole foods, which are, you know, uh, not quite as concentrated in those flavors, but indeed, you know, are better for your body. Yeah, I certainly, uh, I certainly noticed after a couple of, a couple of weeks of eating, uh, even just when I was vegetarian, eating something else, eating something, and I'd, I'd stopped eating sugar as, you know, adding sugar to things a long time ago, you know, a long time ago. But I remember like every now and again, something would come or someone would put sugar in a coffee or a tea. And when you haven't been used to it after a while, it really hits you. Oh my God, I used to do this. I used to get off on this. And it's fascinating how the cravings change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and things that used to taste good to you do not taste good to you anymore. Mm. Uh, same thing with salt because I don't add salt to my cooking and I usually make a lot of my own condiments myself as well. If I go out to eat, 
or you know, if I eat something salty, if I eat an olive, even sometimes, the taste of the salt of foods that you just used to eat every single day is incredible, and it's it's almost unpalatable. And the same with sugar. If you eat something that's that incredibly sweet, you sort of think to yourself, how on earth did I do this? And it goes in reverse too. I meet people who are used to eating those hyper-processed foods, those hyper-palatable foods. And when you feed them a whole food plant-based meal, they think it tastes incredibly bland. But if they keep doing it for one or two or three months, uh, their palate adapts. Those foods start to taste better. And again, those highly processed foods with loads of sugar and salt and fat start to taste unpleasant to them. That's a good word. Unpleasant is, is a good word. Unpleasant. Why? Uh, and it, it, and I know a lot of people will be listening to this going, yeah, that's all well and good, but, and I really want to do it, but uh, the barrier to entry is so, it's so hard to break out of our routines. Why is regulating the way we eat for such an obvious positive health benefit, not only for you, but for your family and, you know, you be around for your grandkids, like all that kind of stuff. Why is it? Why do you think it's so hard for so many people? Habits are incredibly difficult to break. I mean, not just with food, with anything. If you meet people who have tried to quit smoking, if you've met people that needed to uh, quit drinking, for example, it's it's a challenge, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's the same with food. But the I think there's an added layer of difficulty with food because it's something that we need to do. You need to eat. It's something that we potentially need to do several times a day. It's something we do with other people. And unlike smoking and, you know, excessive drinking or other habits that are perceived to be less than positive, uh, food is an acceptable thing. It's a positive thing. Sharing food with friends and family is something that is um, very social and very, uh, very meaningful and very personal to a lot of people. So if you have established these habits over, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it's incredibly difficult to change because not everybody around you is going to change. Restaurants aren't going to change for you, you know. Um, the world isn't going to change for you. Those foods are still going to be there. They're still going to be available. They're still going to be very easy to eat to put in your shopping cart, to buy when you're out. Eating plant-based takes more effort. That's just a simple fact for most people. And so you do actually have to work to break those habits. And it's something that a lot of people forget. They think, okay, I'm, I know everything. I've got all the information. I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And they don't realize that like somebody who's quitting smoking, you actually really have to put in you know, a conscious effort to move away from the negative habits and to develop positive ones. And, you know, again, over time, those positive habits are going to uh, take over your previous unhealthy habits and they're going to become the new norm. But you really do have to make a conscious effort to do that. I certainly real, I really relate to, you know, definitely two of the things that you, you're talking about with uh, the, the, the tricky part about... I mean, exercise is exercise. You can do it alone and no one minds. But food and that bonding time with loved ones, with family, it's so intertwined. And when I was doing the men's health thing, I, I certainly noticed that um, it was a problem that I was essentially isolated from my family because I was over here preparing something else in the kitchen, weighing things out and being all precise. And over there, they're eating something completely different. And sometimes at a different time because I would – 
you know, finish later cook, prepping my food or, you know, eat after them or before them. Um, and it's really, it, it, we had to figure out ways, we had to figure out strategies to allow us to, to be together. Uh, so say, for example, if you are, you know, part of a family, if you are either the son or the daughter or the mother or the father and not everyone's on board, what are some ways that people can implement this and still be a part of the tribe? Yeah, that's, it's something a lot of people ask about and it, it definitely happens a lot. Some of the strategies I know that people use are to come up with meals that everybody can enjoy. So, you know, involve the family in discussions about what dinners can be. Maybe come up with some ideas where you could do a plant-based version and a non-plant-based version of the same meal so that all, all people are doing if they want to is adding their meat or adding their dairy you know, to the finished meal so that everybody can sit down and eat together and not feel like they're, you know, on completely different planets eating completely different foods. Um, you know, making making an agreement that everybody eats a plant-based meal two to three times a week, um, if that's an option. Some people might be more challenged by their family than others. But, you know, uh, slowly transitioning, you know, and their families might say, oh, I actually quite like this food and I feel quite good after I eat it and maybe we should do this more often. Um, but, yeah, just, just sitting down and planning together and, and just saying, you know, I, I need to do this for my health. If you guys aren't going to be on board, that's totally fine, but we need to work together to make it still a family thing because you don't want to feel ostracized. You don't want to feel like what you're doing is a negative thing. And I think if you're starting to feel left out and if you're starting to feel like you're not uh, part of these family events or social events, that, that can weigh quite heavily on you and it can actually make it difficult to maintain long-term. So you do, you just have to do the planning. You have to talk about it. You have to figure things out together. And in most cases, it works out pretty well. But it would be, it would be the same if, you know, say, for example, I've only recently been diagnosed celiac and it's no more or no less a conversation around that. I'm like, okay, there's someone in the house now that, you know, if you butter bread, um, you can't put the knife back in the in the in the margarine, you know, or you have yeah. to use a different peanut butter tub than they do. And this is the okay, their cutting board. This is your cutting board. This is how it's going to have to be, you know. Pe- people would be, I don't know. I wonder if people would be more open to that because it's a medical diagnosis versus. I think, I think in general, yeah, that there tends to be a greater level of accommodation made when it's not seen yeah. as a personal choice. Yeah, um, which is unfortunate, but. You know that that's the way that it is. You've been told um, by your cardiologist you got to do this. That's that's fine. That's serious, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I've had people who just that's what they say. You know, it's for my health. I have to do this. And I think it's as valid if you're trying to uh, prevent yourself from developing heart disease than if you you know have been given a diagnosis and need to do something about it. Mm. When you and and I love that you you wrote this book because I remember that what famously someone tried to eat what Gwyneth Paltrow said she eats every day and it was like eight hundred dollars or something <laughs> you know for the, something ridiculous something just you know it was the the dustings of the virgin bee pollen from some hive in Africa and something wild and um and and certainly having you know experimented with various levels of. You know, only I'm only buying organic, or I'm only buying this, I'm only buying that. Yeah, my grocery bill at the end of the shop was like, my accountant was like, "Man, are you are you sure you live alone? Because holy moly, it's <laughs> a lot of money for someone who's a dude living by himself who doesn't drink. That's a lot of coin there, bro. Where did the where did the need for 
the, your kind of work of doing whole food plant-based in a, on a fr- in a frugal way? Where did that come from? It came from personal necessity to start with, actually. And then it came from just years of having people ask me, but isn't it so expensive to eat the way that you eat? Um, so it started out, of course, I was vegan when I was a student. And so I didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on food. I had to figure out ways that I could eat on a budget. And I still I still was quite health focused. So I didn't want to go out and eat junk. I wanted to cook meals and freeze them and, you know, do that on on the budget that I had. And so I I learned how to eat this way on a budget to start. And then when I started the website, um, I started a website called Plant Plate in 2013. And when people wrote to me or when I got comments or questions, a lot of the time it was, I really want to eat this way. I really need to do this for my health, but I'm afraid I can't afford it. And having had the experience that I'd had, you know, eating a healthy plant-based diet on pretty pretty meager budget. Sometimes, you know, when I was living in the UK, sometimes I spent less than 20 pounds a week on food for three meals. And so whenever people wrote to me, I was sort of like shocked is not the right word, but but bothered by the fact that everybody seemed to think it was so expensive and I knew that it wasn't. So I thought, okay, I've got to put what I know into writing so that other people can can use this so that people who are living on a budget or are on a pension or are single parents, you know, people who, particularly people who need this because their medical bills are so high, um, that they, you know, that they can do this, that they can adopt a way of eating that's going to help them without actually, you know, completely making them broke. It's it's, it's something that really struck me when I was living in the States. And you certainly see it in parts of, uh, you know, where I live in Sydney, there's some parts of Western Sydney, you can definitely see it where, you know, you go, you know, some suburbs, there's just nothing but drive-throughs on the main drag. And if you've got a car full of hungry kids, and you can get 20 nuggets for five bucks, you know, that's, uh, that's quite, that seems like, yeah, it's quite a temptation, isn't it? Yep. It's quite a temptation that food that is ultimately the true cost of the food is so much higher than what you're paying for it at the drive-through window, you know. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, I, I, we've all seen it. We've all seen the photographs of, you know, what what five bucks can buy you in certain parts of the world. And, um, you know, th- there is a much bigger a much bigger argument here for why such terrible food is so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very multi-layered thing. There's a there's a lot of factors go into, you know, the price of food more than I could possibly address in the book. So yeah. I just sort of went for dealing with the practical side yeah. of it. Um and but it that's absolutely right what you said. If you if you're driving around, you're seeing drive-through deals, even if you're in the supermarket and there's a family-sized pizza in the frozen section, it might be two bucks. It might be it might be three, you know, two three dollars, and you go great. That is dinner for my kids, and I could see how, you know, that certainly looks a whole lot more affordable than buying fruits and vegetables, you know, which which can, you know, they can be quite expensive depending on depending on where you shop, depending on where you are, and so. Um, 
you know, people, again, it comes down to that planning thing where if you're going to go for convenience, certainly the junk foods are going to come out cheaper. But, you know, when it comes to health, you're going to do better off with a little bit of planning and preparation and buying the staple foods and and making the meals yourself. Yeah, if you could only calculate over time what's, you know, how old are you now? Like, I don't know, say if you're in your late 20s, anything like what's – if I keep eating this way in 30 years when I have to put ramps in my house because I've lost a foot from diabetes, you know, yep. what's the cost of that versus exactly. a few extra bucks here and there for some green stuff? That's exactly right. And you know what? In the end, it actually doesn't come out on a day-to-day basis as being very much more expensive. If you think about stopping for one meal and spending 5 or $6 on one meal – if you if you spent five or six dollars on food to cook a meal at home, well, you'd have three or four meals. And so, really, you know, I mean, definitely, what you're talking about, the long term costs are exponential. Mm. But even in a day to day cost, if you if you work it out, it's it's actually for most people works out a whole lot cheaper. When people are putting together, you talk about planning. Um, just if, if people are listening to this and they're all revved up and they're jazzed up and like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it today. What's something that someone can do today to, to begin this journey? Emma? Oh, that's a good question. Just, I make a plan, you know, it doesn't even have to be very complicated. Just say, okay, I'm going to get started today. What can I do? Okay. Well, this is what I'm going to have for breakfast and this is what I'm going to have for lunch, and this is what I'm going to have for dinner, and go to the supermarket and shop for those things, and only those things, and don't get tempted, and <laughs> don't walk down walk down certain aisles. Um, you know, just make yourself a plan. It doesn't have to be for a week or two weeks. Make a plan for the next two or three days, and say, I'm, I'm just going to stick to this for two or three days. Buy exactly what you need, um, and prepare your meals, and have them there, and have them ready, so that you know, you've made the decision the easiest thing for yourself. So that if in two or three days you're kind of waning, your motivation's kind of starting to disappear a little bit, well, those meals, they're already there and they're ready and you can heat them up and that's the easiest option for you. It's going to make, you know, straying from the path a whole lot less tempting, I think. So So you're you're saying maybe spend, you can can do it all in one day, go and get the food, prep Mm -hmm. it up, box it up and then pop it in the fridge and then the decisions exactly. have already been made in a cold state and so then when you're in a hot state, when you're in hungry and you're shouting kids and someone's coming home and are upset or whatever, boom, in the oven, in the microwave, wherever you choose to heat it up, there it is. Decision was made earlier, here's the food now, no one's hangry. That's right and you don't have to think about it and the less you have to think about it, the more likely you are to just do it. Yeah, right. And and it and I still I still do it myself because I have incredibly long days, incredibly tiring days sometimes where I don't want to cook when mm. I get home. And even to me, you know, phoning up a pizza place and ordering a vegan pizza can still seem incredibly tempting when I'm that tired. And so I plan ahead on the days where I'm not that tired and I get some meals made up. I get them in the freezer. Again, they don't have to be complicated like we said earlier a grain, a legume, some frozen veggies, a few herbs and spices, and that's it. The decision's made for you. You've made you've made it and, and you've made life a whole lot easier for yourself. 
you mentioned a pretty simple formula there. I mean, when when people are putting these planning together, is is there a simple kind of formula that we can vaguely kind of keep in our heads when we're putting plans together for for what we need on each meal? Yeah, I mean, there are two ways you can do it. One is you can pick out recipes and plan to cook specific recipes for yourself for the day, you know, or for the week if you really want to get into doing a lot of meal prepping. But another thing you can do to really simplify it is, you know, what I just mentioned, pick pick a base, you know, a meal base on a plant-based diet could be a whole grain, it could be a sweet potato, it could be basically something that's going to fill you up, you know, and give you a little bit of sustenance. Add a legume, add some lentils or some chickpeas or some beans. Uh, You can cook up a big batch on the weekend, like you said you do yourself. Soak it, cook it, have it in the fridge ready to go. Add some veggies and add your your flavor. So you could, you know, have some herb and spice blends. You could have some condiments that you like. You can have, you know, sauces that you marinate things in. But essentially all of my meals are built around those things, you know, a grain or a starchy vegetable, legumes, vegetables, super simple. And when it comes to portion sizes, when you are eating um, a whole food plant-based diet, are you are we eating a more or are we, are we eating less? Talk, talk, talking about, about volume and how to make sure that we that portion control is, is still a part of it. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. I mean, I would say in general, if you're doing it right, you should definitely be eating more in terms of volume. Uh, a lot of what people eat prior to eating, you know, prior to moving to a whole food plant-based diet is incredibly energy dense foods, foods that are um, rich in calories, potentially low in nutrients, um, things that are, you know, things that are high in fat. Basically, you know, you're going to pack a whole lot more calories into a small amount of food than you are when you're eating these uh, fiber-rich, you know, foods that are less calorie-dense. So, uh, if, you're eating, if you're eating a meal that's built around legumes and grains and vegetables, you need to be conscious of, of eating a bit more because otherwise what's going to happen is you can end up stuffing yourself with volume, you can end up stuffing yourself with fiber and water, but not actually getting enough energy. And it's a complaint that some people have when they move to this way of eating is that they're hungry all the time or that they're not feeling satisfied from food or that you know their energy levels are dropping. And if you take a look at what they're eating, um, it looks like a lot of food. But when you look at the actual energy content of the food, it's incredibly low. And so you need to in most circumstances, increase the volume. But at the same time, you know, you don't ever want to be overeating because you don't want to be weighing yourself down. You don't want to be causing digestive problems because you're eating such an enormous amount of food at every single meal. So, you know, doing things like adding something that's a little more energy dense, like uh, some nuts and seeds to your salads or um, spacing your meals out, you know, and eating more regularly throughout the day works for some people as well. So you do need to make tweaks, you know, to to your eating patterns, to your eating, you know, portions and figure out what works for you I personally. Certainly, I certainly noticed that when I was uh, on days where I sometimes I train twice a day, sometimes I'll get on the bike and I'll lift. Um, on, and on those days, I, I cannot eat enough, Emma. I'm, I'm yep. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, but Don't then- stop you, eating. 
Yeah, but then I get, you know, I'm, you know, you know, my body's going, hey, if you're going to do that, we're going to need a little bit more than you gave us, you're giving us. But, you know, then I, I know I've done this and I've happily admit it. Um, there was one day I just went to the fridge and I, I, got, a, I got an entire iceberg lettuce, <laughs> cut it up, threw in some apple cider vinegar, threw in some yeast flakes, and I just sat there and I just <laughs> ate this whole you, iceberg lettuce. You are not alone. It was so good. We have all done it. <laughs> It's amazing what you crave when yeah. you when you've been eating this. I'll I've done the same thing. I'll eat a head of lettuce or a bag, you know, a, a you know, a whole bag of of mixed greens just I've in a bowl. I've done that. I've totally done it's that. Absolutely fantastic. And you know, the I mean the other thing is also to not let yourself get so hungry that you're tempted by foods that mm. are going to, you know, be detrimental to your health. So I think I think that's what people need to make sure that they're doing is is eating enough you know if they're eating healthy is eating enough food so that you're not uh when you're transitioning getting these cravings for unhealthy foods because you're in a calorie deficit i think that's really important Mm. when you mentioned earlier um and i think this is also a part this is definitely a part of it is talking to friends and relatives um i was discussing this last night at dinner with uh with the crew um that when you say to someone uh, and I certainly notice that when I, you know, talk about my drinking, but also about not eating meat, um, it, it can it can trigger confrontational emotions in other people when you you say you're eating this way. What are some strategies that people might be able to use when discussing, you know, oh, this is why I'm not eating, or oh, none for me today when they're when I'm with family and with friends because that might also be, oh, I should be eating this way, but I'm at, you know. I'm at a lunch with work or I'm at a lunch with family, so I just won't this meal because it's just too much of a hassle. What are some strategies that people can use to make sure that they can discuss it and talk about it? You're right. There, There is a real pressure that people feel in those instances to, you know, not cause not cause a stir or not to have to talk about it and to just kind of accommodate. And if you do that day in, day out, you're, you know, doing a disservice to yourself. So I always think it's good to keep it light. I, you know, advise people not to get too heavy into details, to not go on a rant about the environment or, (laughs) you know, or you basically want to avoid making other people feel bad while making them understand why you're doing it for yourself. So make it personal. I'm just doing this for myself uh, for whatever reason. I've got, you know, it may be that you have a health issue that you want to address. So you can say, you know, my doctor told me, I need to reduce my blood pressure, so I need to try this for a few months. Um, I've been doing this for a few months now. I'm feeling really good, so I'd really like to stick with it and see how it goes. Make it really light. Make it really personal. Even just shift the focus off you onto somebody else, Mm. you know. And some people might think that that's not a good approach. Some people think that maybe you should be more assertive about, you know, your reasoning for doing it. But I think that you know, a lot of the time will be met with defensiveness. Mm. Um, food is a very personal and people can feel, even if it's not because of what you're doing, they can feel like you're personally judging them because you're eating this way and they're not and that you think the way they're eating is bad. And so you want to try to avoid making people feel more like that and more like it's just a personal choice for yourself. Yeah, I've... Uh... I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So I, some people will use that opportunity to whip out the phone and start showing footage from chicken farms. Um, 
I, I generally, I don't think that's for me. That's not an approach that I it feel. hasn't worked well for me. <laughs> no, in any time that I've tried it. So, no. and the thing is, you'll have people who are genuinely interested yeah. and genuinely want information, and you can take those opportunities to, you know, give them some resources and give them some links. Say, you know. Yeah. Oh, here, here are the reasons I'm eating like this if you want to look it up mm. or, you know, you want to do that. But, um, you know, especially with family events, I don't think it's the time to mm. to really sort of get into anything too heavy. Yeah. Um, try to keep the focus on the social occasion and, and not on, you know, what everybody's eating. Actually, I was actually at dinner at, at this crew dinner the other night because um, we weren't working when you work on television and there's catering, you all, you all eat together. Um, mm-hmm. so, someone was asking me and I, I just started talking about, you know, it's fifteen thousand of liters of water to to make one kilo of of beef versus one thousand two hundred fifty liters of water to make one kilo of, of um, soybeans for the same amount of protein. And because certainly there's a drought in Australia at the moment, so you know stuff like that is a it's a kind of a way in, I guess I found at least with these, and that really got these guys like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it kind of. We started talking about cotton and you know all this kind of stuff, and then we, <laughs> then we kind of once we started talking about water, it seemed to be a much easier pathway in versus any kind of compassion or you know karmic judgment, I guess whatever. Yeah, you you can also pick your audience, and I think if you put things in very specific terms like that, if you appeal to people on on a factual level and on a scientific level, that's that's definitely a much easier way to do it than indeed, like you said, trying to appeal to people on an emotional Mm. or an ethical level. And so knowing your audience also helps. Mm. Sometimes you'll appeal to people, uh, you know, from an environmental standpoint. Sometimes you'll appeal to people from a health standpoint. And so being ready is also good. Having a few facts up your sleeve, you know, if you do indeed have to defend yourself or feel like you have to defend yourself is really good. Some some straight facts, you know, not, not anything, you know, yeah, like you said, too personal. Yeah, yeah. Make it about an important issue. Mm, you're right. Um, whole food plant-based on, on $5 a day must have been tricky when you were traveling around Europe. Uh, what, what do you mean, no fromage? <laughs> what are you talking about? This is fromage, but the fromage is beautiful. It must have been tricky. It's a challenge, yes. I think Europe, Europe has uh, changed a lot. I think at least where I am in the last couple of years, uh, the you know, the number of people who understand what veganism is or what a plant-based diet is has just exploded. You know, five five or six years ago, you would say it and just get a blank stare in return. Um, I think, you know, it's made easier by the fact that I pretty much always cook for myself at home. Uh, but yeah, when you're traveling, it's it's a challenge. And again, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to do your research. You do potentially have to be a little bit more flexible. Um, but you know, there's ways, there's always ways to do it. Go to a supermarket, you know, grab some greens and grab some, grab some whole grain bread and make yourself a picnic, you know, like Mm. it's just, again, comes down to preparation and planning. And it's nice though, to see that, that it is sort of becoming more Mm. common and that it is something that's sort of taking off all over the world. And I think probably, you know, the internet and social media has a lot to do with that rapid progression. Yeah, and but also what you're but what you're describing is a lot of people are finding this pathway from a health perspective, and you know certainly when you know when straight white men in their forties start to get told that <laughs> if you want to see fifty, 
if you don't want to, you know, have another heart attack, you know, you're going to have to get this cholesterol down. When they get started to told, well, the fastest way isn't even, I'm just making this up, but you, know, you can do it, maintain it without medication. You don't need, was it statins? Is that the medication? Statins, you know, that's just, correct. Just by changing your diet, you ne- might never need these drugs again. Like that's a pathway for a lot of people who otherwise might never have come that way. I remember, you know, yon- yonks ago when I first did make this transition, I did go and see a nutritionist and, um, a dietitian, actually. I went to go see a dietitian, and she said uh, a line that has always affected me. Um, when you're an omnivore, you can rely on the world to feed you. But if you're choosing to be vegan, then you have to feed yourself. And um, I talk about, you know, the planning that you discuss. I see people who have like a toddler who's not yet able to eat food that they can just buy out and about. It's not even that much preparation. It's not no. even that much forward planning, you know. it's. I have a few things in my backpack or my bag whenever I travel wherever I go out, you know, sometimes even when I, if I go out to dinner, I'll have a little, little tub of like some lupin flakes and some nutri- nutritional yeast and just something. So if, even if I, or even if all I get is a salad, just throw a bit of that in there to make sure that I get what I need out of that meal. And then Bob's Giovanni's living love. Everything's sweet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's nowhere near the kind of prep that people have to do when they take kids out of the house. That's for sure. But it no, is, no. It, it is thinking a bit. It is thinking with your head. You are, um, you are, you, you're married, aren't you? Scott is his name, right? I am. That's yeah. right. Um, were, was Scott uh, eating this way when you met him or did you meet on the pathway? Scott was absolutely not eating this way when I met him. Scott was in a touring band when I met him and he was eating pretty much the worst stuff that you could probably eat out of necessity, you know, yeah. backstage food, uh, road food, gas station food a lot of the time. And, you know, when he when he was not touring yeah it wasn't probably wasn't much better it was a lot of takeaway and it was a lot of quick inconvenience foods he he fortunately spent some time living in california so it was actually very well versed on nutritional trends he'd actually eaten a raw foods diet for a while he knew what veganism was um and so he's fortunately for me always been very open to trying things he's never had a problem with eating what's on offer at home. So, you know, when we, when we sort of first moved in together, I said, you know, I don't cook anything that's not plant-based, you know, I don't, I don't cook, not a problem. I'll eat whatever you eat. So, you know, even though he wasn't personally into this way of eating, he was a very flexible and accommodating person who was, you know, very open to new ideas, very interested to try things. And so for me, that's been, that's been really helpful. And as, as, you know, time's gone on and we've lived together for quite some time now, you know, seven or eight years, he sees the benefits of this way of eating. He sees how much better he feels eating this way. And so for the past at least three to four years, it would have been an extremely rare occurrence that he would eat anything that wasn't plant-based because physically it's just, uh, you know, his body's not used to it. Like we said before, it's adapted and it's changed and the foods become unpalatable and they make you feel unpleasant. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so it's nice. It's nice to be able to not convince somebody but, you mm. know, have them recognize the benefits and progress and change with time. It's been great. You mentioned that you, you used his own kryptonite against him. You used his his uh, convenience as a way to, like, yeah. if you're cooking, I'm eating. And that, that was it. Yep. <laughs> you know? That's it. 
But then uh, it sounds like over time that he he noticed that he started to feel better and then started making those choices from that. Oh, look, I actually feel better when I do this. And and it's a choice that gets made every meal. My in in my household, I'm I'm the odd one out. My wife is. Uh, yeah. I'm, I like to say my wife's Fijian, which is the diametrical opposite of a vegan. Um, <laughs> yeah, if it has a shadow, they'll they'll eat it, and that's fine. You know, that's her that's her thing, and that's you know, that's, and she's super accommodating for me, and she cooks for me in really you know great ways, and and I'm really really grateful that when Audrey does cook, that she well, a lot of Fijian cooking is quite Indian influenced. And so there's a lot of little separate dishes um, on the table, and bless her, she always is usually like maybe one meat thing on out of three or four on the table at night, um, which I'm really lucky, really lucky for. And um, yeah, yeah, she never never great. had an issue with it. But now now I go and tell her I'm bloody celiac. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> now you've really thrown a spanner in the works. I have because we can't have roti now. We can't. I can't ever eat roti oh, again. No. I know. I know. Yeah, it's just, it's a crime. It's a crime. That's okay. <laughs> we we mourned. We mourned my last because when I went to get the uh, endoscopy, I had to had to flare it up just so they had something to biopsy. So we had we had it. We had a farewell tour. <laughs> we had a, oh good. The yeah, last we had the, the of, of last ever last hurrah on wheat for a couple of days. That was actually it was horrible. It felt awful, but it tasted, <laughs> it tasted great. Yep. It tasted great. Um, look, I'm so I'm so damn happy that that you took the time to speak to me today. You got a, you got a busy a busy life uh, where you live where you live, and I'm, I'm grateful that we made it happen. And um, I'm just so grateful that I can point people to you as a resource because uh, people ask me all the time, and I'm straight up I'm like I'd. I don't. I don't know anything. But what? what just one final question. What led you to to um, becoming a nutritionist? Uh, just personal interest. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, I I read a book called The China Study in 2010 that was, you know, a real eye opener for me. And I just thought it was absolutely fascinating this idea that you could help people prevent and reverse disease with li- lifestyle and diet dietary measures instead of having them have to have procedures and operations and be on medications forever. Mm. And so I just wanted to pursue it. So I, you know, I went on to do that and, and you know, in my own time, did research, did courses, um, did as much learning as I could um, just so I could help share the information with mm. other people basically. Well, I'm really grateful you did because um, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of snake oil uh, out, well, whatever oil, flaxseed oil, whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> around this way of eating. So having a bit of a, a scientific basis on which you're putting all this information on is, it, it makes me happy to to point people your way because, like I said, a lot of people ask me about it, and having a resource like you is a, a freaking great place to start. And I'm I'm really grateful you've done the work, and I'm grateful you continue to do the work. And um, uh, if you had more books, I'd buy them, but I've bought them all already. I can't buy them twice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That really means that that means a lot, and I'm super excited to have been able to be a part of the program because I think I think it's really fantastic, and I'm I'm really looking forward to a lot of the interviews and and seeing how how many people can benefit from listening and seeing what you've been doing. So it's fantastic. Awesome, awesome. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful uh, uh, and wonderful day, and enjoy the last the last days of uh, of the European summer. I think it's already gone, but thank you. <laughs> That was Emma Roche. You can get more information about what she was talking about, plantplate.com. 
pretty simple website. Uh, the book is called Whole Food Plant Based on $5 a day. It's available as a hardcover or an ebook, which is the way that I got it. Once again, if you're in Sydney or Melbourne, there's tickets for the shows available osherginsburg.com. Brisbane, I won't be long. Just hold February 8th, okay? It's a powerful date. Yeah? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, a big thanks to Rachel Barrett for producing this episode and trying to lock down theatres around the country. Andy Ma for audio production. Toe Hider for the music. You can see Toe Hider live on stage with me at all the upcoming shows. You can get tickets at osherginsburg.com. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share the show. Just tell them to listen to it on Spotify. We're there now. Just share. If you're listening on Spotify, just hit share and send it to a friend um, and then they'll hear the show. All right? It's a super great way for us to get the show out because we are now where people listen to everything. So we're really, really excited about that. Until we speak next time, uh, some words that aren't my brother's, but they're the words that my brother taught me. Do what you can where you are with what you have and urge those in power to do the right thing. You can call them. We are essentially their bosses. Our Prime Minister's number is uh, 02 That's his number. Angus Taylor, he's the Minister for Energy. 02-6277-7710. One part in the exchange away from the Prime Minister. And Melissa Price, who's the Minister for the Environment. 02-6277-4242. Is your future worth a phone call? Is your children's future worth a phone call? Mine is. I'm going to make some phone calls. It's up to us. We can't do everything. We can't do nothing. But we can do something. So let's do it. Let's do it together, yeah? Until we speak next time, eat well, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.